You're listening to Misty Radio on WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM, a show that connects MIT to the world. I'm your host, Sanaya Sampson-Hill. Riding off the major developments of the past few years, including Brexit and the pandemic, Scotland had a major parliament election back in May, which resulted in pro-independence party victories. Now the country may have another independence referendum in the near future. The MIT Center for International Studies had none other than Scottish politician Ken McIntosh, MSP, talk about what's happening in the country. McIntosh served as presiding officer of the Scottish Parliament from 2016 until May of this year. In this upcoming recording from a previous CIS Star Forum, he talks about the last five years of Scottish politics, as well as the formation of a new Nationalist Party in Scotland. Take a listen to his conversation with Phil Budden, a senior lecturer at MIT's Sloan School of Management and the faculty director for the MIT United Kingdom program. It is a great honor to get to introduce to you today the Right Honorable Ken McIntosh, MSP, Member of the Scottish Parliament, and its presiding officer. As you will discover, Ken is a very knowledgeable and insightful person. He is coming to the end of his time as the presiding officer. Uh, He will explain more about that particular role. But all I can say is... What a fascinating five-year term he has had since the May elections in 2016, after which there have been other elections which have led to Brexit and Trump. And then, as some of you will have noticed over the last year, we've had a planet-wide pandemic. So an exciting five years for any presiding officer. But as I hope Ken will tell us a little bit more about, there's an awful lot of other changes going on, including uh, in Scotland, where an election has now been called, and we're in the run-up to the election on the 6th of May 2016. 21. Please join me in welcoming the Right Honourable Ken McIntosh, the presiding officer of the Scottish Parliament. Ken, thank you for joining us. Not at all, Phil. It's a real pleasure. In fact, I'm just sorry that we can't be there in person. Um, I think originally we reached out in uh, last year, we were heading over to the States. Uh, we, we're always looking as a parliament to uh, countries and institutions around the world, uh, not least in uh, North America, and we have a particularly strong relationships relationship with uh, America. So, we would have been there in person, and uh, unfortunately, our team are here because of the pandemic. Um, but the wonders of technology are still fantastic. So, I've been an MSP for uh, 22 years, and for 17, I was a member. 17 years, a member of the Labour Party. But at the last election, 2016, I put myself forward as presiding officer. Now, the the first job we have when when we follow an election, the first vote we have in Parliament following the election is to choose our speaker. So the presiding officer is the Speaker of the Parliament. And as you might imagine, it's a, a, a tremendous honour, tremendous privilege. It's uh, not You've not just been elected by your constituents, you're then chosen by your peers. I would also say that it's the only secret ballot in the Parliament. So every other vote in the Parliament is uh, transparent and public, uh, published, as you might imagine, very important. But the election of the presiding officer is a secret ballot, and that's just to try and minimise the influence of the parties and the party whips in this. So it's a genuine relationship, a bond of trust between the members who choose you Mm -hmm. and yourself. And you reciprocate by leaving your party. So you become impartial. So this is the Westminster tradition. You probably know that as well. The Speaker at Westminster is not a member of a political party and uh, acts impartially on behalf of everybody in the province. So just to explain that rule. So what it does mean, it means that you don't get to vote. Uh, unless it's a tied vote, a casting vote. You don't get to vote on issues. I can't put in questions. I can't submit motions. I can't speak in debates. My job is primarily, well, the most high-profile one is to preside over sittings of the chamber, to select speakers, 
um, to maintain order, obviously, but to uh, chair two of the parliamentary um, committees that run the parliament. So as well as the chamber work, um, I chair the parliamentary bureau, and that's the body that decides what's going to be in our agenda for uh, the coming weeks. Usually we choose the agenda three weeks in advance. The way the business bureau works, there are all the parties in the parliament that have more than five members have a representative on the bureau. And the government, nearly always be the largest party, will present its, uh, through me, present its business programme and then we'll discuss it, decide whether that's what members want to discuss and then put that to the parliament and it's voted on each week. So that's the bureau. It's very important in terms of setting the agenda. The other body I chair is the corporate body, the Scottish Parliamentary Corporate Body, which is a bit like being... Uh, being chairman of the board, essentially, for a large organisation. Mm. So that's the body that runs the parliament, that provides everything from the parliament's security and IT and research, uh, clerking facilities and so on. But it would also make decisions about, um, well, the, the, the amount of allowance MSPs have to spend on employing staff, running an office and so on. We also get engaged in things like security issues, flags outside the building. I was just talking to Phil mm-hmm. before I put some flags up, but these are very sensitive issues in Scotland at the moment. So I run that body, or chair that body. Uh, and then on top of that, I have a few other roles. I represent the Parliament Home and Abroad, so, uh, but I also welcome many visitors. And uh, uh, so, for example, heads of state and so on. And we do have quite a lot of American visitors. So uh, I can just say to anybody here, you will. The, 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 the Parliament itself is a very open, accessible, transparent institution. So if you ever do get the chance to visit Scotland, make yourselves known to us and we really will go out of our way to show you around and, and uh, show off what we do in the Parliament itself in, in Scotland. Uh, and then on top of that, I have a few other roles such as I chair what's called Scotland's Futures Forum, which is our own think tank. We, we said that this body is to allow members really to operate outside the normal electoral cycle. As you might imagine, whenever a subject comes up, even long-term issues such as environment policy or the nature of social care or drugs or things that are long-term issues that aren't going to go away, it's quite difficult to get out of the, you know, this is what you elect, this is this is what was your election manifesto, this is what you promised, this is our position. Right. And sometimes you need a, a, a broader forum beyond that, and that's what the think tank provides. So uh, really um, quite an interesting, very interesting, actually, body to chair. That's my role as presenting officer, um, and it is a particularly interesting time. So this particular session, which is just coming to an end, we had our elections in 2016, five weeks, and, and at the time of the elections, the Parliament had just more powers have come to the parliament over taxation. I'm sure most of you will be aware of the, the makeup of the United Kingdom. We have a, a, a Westminster parliament, which is, governs the whole of the UK, and then we have uh, a Scottish parliament, a Welsh parliament, and a Northern Ireland assembly. Uh, and the, Eng, England doesn't have a parliament. England just retains the UK, the House of Commons. But in the House of Commons, um, Scottish MPs tend not to vote. Only English people vote, or English representatives vote in English matters. So it's a... Um, a devolved setup in the United Kingdom. And when we had our election in 2016, we just had new powers over taxation and social security, which we thought would dominate. But six weeks after the election, the Brexit referendum happened and Brexit utterly dominated the agenda for four years, uh, leaving, whether we'd leave, how we'd leave and so on, really uh, shifted the the electoral or change the electoral landscape. And then, of course, for the last year, the global pandemic dominated, uh, pushed that to one side. So politically, however, the Brexit referendum really did 
change and dominate the uh, landscape here. In the parliament, we have five political parties. The SNP is by far the largest. Um, they are just short of a, of a majority, and they uh, they form the government. Ben, would are, you just like to set out what SNP stands for, just in case sorry, we have any listeners who aren't familiar? Sorry, yes, the Scottish National Party. So this, this party is fundamentally um, uh, wanting a, a, an independent Scotland. So they are pushing for independence for Scotland away. So breaking up the United Kingdom. So Sc- Scotland is a country in its own right. Just Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland are all countries in their own right. And Scotland wants to break away and um, be, be an independent country. And that's the raison d'etre for the SNP. Politically, where they are on the, on the political spectrum for interest is that they, they were a collection of views possibly could be portrayed as more right-wing than left, maybe, but mainly because they represented agrarian and fishing interests. They tend to be uh, dotted around the sort of the fringe of the country in fishing ports and agricultural communities, but they made a huge breakthrough, a deliberate breakthrough. They reinvented themselves as a social democratic party of the centre-left, and, and that's what they are now. So they're very, very, very similar in terms of policies to the Labour Party, very similar in terms of support for the health service or social security or distribution of income and so on. But with a big difference between the one independence and that's the key purpose. So they uh, rose to prominence and uh, dominated, been in government now for 14 years in Scotland. And they're still the largest party, just short of an absolute majority, but the largest party. Um, the main opposition party, well, the, the largest opposition party is the Conservative Party, who formed the government at Westminster. That's Boris Johnson's party. And then after that is the Labour Party, the second biggest party in Westminster. And then after that, we have two smaller parties. We have the Greens, who had six MSPs, now just under five because one of the members left, but six MSPs, and five Liberals. And that's that's the, the, the makeup of the party, Parliament. Back in 2014, when the SNP had come to power for some time and got a majority, they pushed for an independence referendum. This was a very huge event in Scotland. There's always been support for independence in Scotland, usually around about somewhere between 20% and 40%, somewhere between a quarter and a third, that sort of idea. Um, But once the SNP came to power and pushed, they they went into the independence referendum on about a third of the vote. And as that referendum continued, they got to, the opinion polls suggested just the week before the referendum itself in 2014, that they'd just gone over 50% of the vote, of voting intentions. And then just, then it just came back. So on the actual day in September 2014, the result was 55% yes, no to stay in. That's 55% to stay in the UK and 45% to break away. So we agreed to stay in the United Kingdom. But the issue didn't go away. It was beginning to diminish. It was a very divisive time. It was a very... uh, Huge turnout, way more than 80% of people voted. It really animated people, got people engaged in politics. But feelings began, the the political sort of temperature began to simmer a little. And then Brexit in 2016 just rocketed it back up again. Because Brexit is all about coming out of the European Union. In many ways, you could describe Brexit as English nationalism. It's about English saying that we want to take... If you look at the arguments, they're very similar to Scottish nationalism, but taking control of your own affairs, taking charge, repatriating powers and so on. And it just put constitutional issues back up at the top of the agenda. And so, and also to improve the popularity of the SNP yet again. So it's back on the agenda again. So we're going into this election. So this week is our last week as a parliament. We now have six weeks of campaigning. Election on the 6th of May. And we're going to this campaign on the back of, the, of uh, both the Brexit and, and the pandemic uh, with these issues very much to the fore. And today, just to add you know, fuel to the fire, today, mm-hmm. the former First Minister, uh, Alex Salmond, who dominated Scottish politics uh, for 10 years, really, in the Scottish Parliament there, 
he has launched his own political party today. So his successor, Nicola Sturgeon, leads the MS, leads the SNP going into this election. They're on certainly high 40s uh, in, in percentage in the, in the opinion polls. But he's launched a rival political party. They're only standing on the list, not standing in constituencies. I've just, it's literally happened this afternoon. I haven't had a chance to catch up myself. But anyway, it's going to be a lively election um, uh, with a lot to play for. Well, first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction to your role as presiding officer. And thank you for your uh, service within that. The fact that you have to step back from your own party and play such a key role. And it's helpful the way you set it out, because often here in America, the role of the speaker uh, is much more political. They remain a member of their party. So it's very helpful to hear the differences. Thank you also in an even-handed presiding officer way of explaining the five main parties and the events, both of the uh, the referendum in 2014. And just to pick up on this new party, and I know this is just coming in. So this is almost back to sort of a BBC television producer role, uh, you know, news just in. So Alex Salmon used to head the SNP, but now he's broken away from that and is running presumably a pro uh, independence party another one exactly yes yeah yes for for your uh, uh, colleagues on the call i used to be a, a bbc tv uh, news producer so yes this is very much being used to decent role now yes alex salmon was the first minister alex salmon has been one of the most um, prominent figures in scottish politics for more than 20 years actually for even b- before that he became the first minister in 2007 it's a very important moment actually in the, in the life of the scottish parliament because we'd had a labor lib dem coalition and then in 2007 the snp got one more seat than the labor party and alex salmon became uh, the first minister in a minority administration. They only had, you know, about a third of the MSPs in the parliament, but they made it work. And in terms of the, the evolution of the parliament, it's a very important moment in terms of making that work. And it was so successful that he went on to become, to form a majority administration in 2011. So now the, the Scottish parliament is a proportional representation parliament. We have uh, 73 seats elected first past the post, then an additional member system giving us an additional 56 seats. But it's designed in such a way that no one party is expected to get an absolute majority. But Alex Hammond and the SP did exactly that in 2011. And the result of that, the momentum and the, so the, the, the the moral mandate that gave him meant that he could negotiate with the then Conservative government under David Cameron to hold a referendum in Scotland, the independence referendum. So Alex Salmond took the SNP from this small fringe party that had never had more than perhaps, I think maybe they had 10, MS, 10 MPs at Westminster at its height, to the, the, the largest party and the government of Scotland with him as First Minister and a referendum on the future of Scotland. Really huge transformation and change. Now, they lost the referendum and he stood down. And his protege, who had been his deputy for at least 10 years, was Nicola Sturgeon, and she took over as First Minister. But what's happened just in recent two years is that in the light of the Me Too movement, as you know, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein and so on, and it, it, these were felt all around the world. They were certainly felt in our parliament, in our country. People looked again at their behaviour. We were always very proud in the Scottish parliament of having a huge uh, number of women. We, we, we were, mm-hmm. at one point, had the second highest gender equality record of any parliament in the world. Wow. Well, exactly, yes. So we thought we, thought we were absolutely at the forefront of this, no problem here, nothing to see, move along now sort of thing. And then we discovered when it shone a spotlight, as the Me Too movement did, that we, living in a sexist society as we do, we were just as uh, 
uh, guilty of sexist and misogynistic behaviour as any other part of our society. And what happened was that the rules were changed about making complaints. The government specifically allowed complaints about sexist behaviour to be made to former ministers. And the first thing that happened was that a couple of civil servants made complaints about the behaviour of Alex Salmond. These were investigated. Exactly. It was this, uh, the saga goes up. These were investigated. He challenged the investigation on grounds of fairness. It was un- unsuccessful. And it was thrown out by the Court of Session, the highest court in Scotland. And he was awarded half a million pounds. In damage. But then the police charged him with sexual assault and attempted rape. He went to court, 13 char- 14 charges, but one was dropped. He went to court. He was acquitted. And he came out looking for to tell his side of the story. And it's been unbelievable. And he, he I think... I'm not sure if he blames Nicola Sturgeon, but certainly the, the relationship between them, which used to be incredibly supportive and friendly, is now they are absolutely each other's throats. So, and this has been playing out over the last two years. So in the back of this, he has now launched this other party. So he, you know, the former leader of the SNP who led them to glory has now launched a different party. So it's quite, oh, well, it's, it's interesting to put it mildly, Phil. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for giving uh, us those insights and that background. And that's amazing that a new party has been created going into this. And also, thank you for um, highlighting the Scottish Parliament's role on taking these gender issues importantly and and dealing with them. They they are serious and they need to be dealt with. And we all need to face these systemic changes. Can I ask you a question about the referendum? Because I know a lot of people who do international studies probably would have seen the Catalan referendum. And I, I just wonder if it's worth putting the Scottish referendum of 2014 in context, just, you know, the due process that went into that being held. And then because I got a feeling that the ref, uh, another referendum may be part of political parties' views in the coming six weeks. So perhaps you could give us some context as we then sort of listen to events in Scotland. Phil, a very pertinent question indeed. The 2014 referendum, first of all, the, the powers over the constitution rest with Westminster. So the way that the devolved settlement works is that all powers are assumed to rest with the Scottish Parliament unless they are reserved, held back to Westminster. Okay. So the powers that are reserved include mostly defence, foreign affairs, a lot of the economic powers and social security powers, and the constitution. So in other words, Scotland cannot decide by itself to organise a referendum and have one and break away. It's a decision for the UK government whether or not to have... Well, you know, there are Scottish representatives still at Westminster, just to be clear, it's not... English. This is the UK Parliament. Mm-hmm. So what happened in 2014 is that the UK government, led by David Cameron, agreed and uh, approved by the UK Parliament, agreed under Section 30 of the Scotland Act to allow a referendum to be held. And that was signed as part of this the Edinburgh Agreement between David Cameron and Alex Salmond. And the referendum was therefore legal, it was proper, it was officially run, and it had the endorsement, well, it had legal standing. As you know, as you said, the Catalan example is not quite the same. And what has been fascinating in Scotland in the last year, last two years, has been pressure in the independence movement to hold a similarly wildcat referendum. So the the they think you know, Westminster have made it clear that they don't want to hold a referendum. Boris Johnson has come in as as prime minister with a very uh, well. I mean, it's it's described it as an English national position, but it was a, a pro Brexit position, and he's made it absolutely clear he has no intention of granting a Section Thirty order to allow a refer- referendum to be held. So within the referendum movement, they can the independence movement, they can see the popularity of the SNP. They can see for the last year, every opinion poll for virtually a whole year has shown support for independence above fifty percent. Now that's the first time that's ever happened on a sustained basis. So you can imagine the pressure and the frustration amongst independence supporters. Look at this. 
The country clearly wants independence. We need a referendum now. Let's have it. So there's huge pressure to hold a wildcat referendum. And the SNP under Nicola Sturgeon, Nicola Sturgeon herself is a very law-abiding, um, she's very conscious of you know, legal matches, a former solicitor, but she just, she, she, she wants to do things properly. She wants to do things by the book and she's resisted this. And she's tried to adopt a political strategy of pushing the, the UK government to grant permission. That changed just a matter of weeks ago, a matter of a few months ago, maybe the most, when they said, no, OK, we will. They'll bring forward their own referendum bill. And the Scottish government published a referendum bill on Wednesday this week. Tuesday this week, sorry. Tuesday this week. Oh, Wednesday. I've forgotten. I've lost track of time, Phil. <laughs> it's been a busy last week for you, Ken. Yeah, I'm so glad you're joining us. But this is really helpful. And so what does that mean that that, has been, that, that bill has come forwards? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I think we'll need to get some constitutional lawyers on this. One of one of the roles of presenting officer is to um, to take a view on any bill presented to Parliament on whether or not it is within the competence of the Parliament. So it's one of my I should have mentioned it earlier. It's one of my key roles. It's a very low profile role. Well, most of the time it, it's not an issue because most bills presented are government bills, and as you might imagine, the government's got the whole legal team on this, and they don't present mm-hmm. bill, bills that are incompetent. However, it does come up. So, that, for example, in the last session, there were a couple of, of, of members' bills. There was one about um, corporate manslaughter, another one about double parking, and uh, you know, which I always said, well, these bills are not competent, and it doesn't stop them proceeding. It just is a, right. a legal ruling. And I've got, I've got. 16 lawyers or more in the parliament working wow. on these for me, yeah. So, um, and normally, by the way, they produce these huge reams, which I read all the time, and then they're destroyed afterwards. It's quite, I, I always say, what a waste, you know, that's <laughs> work. And I, I get to see it, I have big discussions with them, and then it's torn up, shredded. But we had a huge battle, not a huge battle, I should say, we had a huge worrying time over leaving the European Union, and the government produced what's called the Continuity Bill. Now, the European Union... That's part of foreign affairs, so it's reserved. The Scottish government got involved because the powers that were coming back to Scotland were over mm-hmm. agriculture and fishing, which is devolved. And the Scottish government published this continuity bill about, about the way these powers would come back to Scotland. And, and our, our lawyers advised, well, that's not within the competence. So we ended up, I had to make a ruling against a government bill on an incredibly sensitive matter. Gosh. It was again, exactly, I can tell you, I thought, I thought that would be the most uh, dramatic and worrying time of the office and little did I know you know but anyway the, the, the future presenting officer the next my successor will will almost certainly have to rule on a bill so at the moment the, the government's published the proposal they've not presented it to parliament yet as a bill so it will have to come to parliament as a bill the, the presenting officer will, will express a view that doesn't stop it neither way that, that's just a view and then the continuity bill which I which I give a ruling on it went through parliament it was passed and then the, it was taken to the court, um, the Supreme Court, in fact, at UK level, and it was thrown out at the Supreme Court. So it was... Gosh. Exactly. So we don't know. So I don't know what will happen. Only the courts can rule. In, in our division and checks and balances, division of powers, only mm-hmm. the courts can rule on the uh, legal authenticity or veracity of a bill. So, but, so I don't know is the short answer. But it's just, just as a political strategy, it's very interesting what's happening. It certainly is. And thank you for explaining that. And I think it's very helpful. I know sometimes they, people look at the UK and say it doesn't have a constitution, but clearly there are constitutional arrangements, checks and balances, things are going to the judiciary to be checked. And Ken, you have obviously had a key role in your years and the next presiding officer is obviously going to have an interesting in-trade for uh, she or he to 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 look at. So uh, Ken, it just leaves it to me uh, to give a vote of thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. I know when we were setting this up, I certainly had no idea 
what an exciting day it was going to be. But you have had a remarkable week and a new party. And I think you've set us all up, given our many interests about Scotland, independence, Northern Ireland, Europe, London. You've set us up with a really helpful platform to understand what's going on. And I hope you'll do the honor of coming and visiting us in person uh, and perhaps having an off the record chat when you're no longer presiding officer here at MIT. I'll absolutely look forward to that, Phil. You can bet your life. Thank you very much to everybody. Misty Radio is a production of MIT International Science Technology Initiatives. You can listen to us on WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close out with the song Reasons by Scottish singer Mimi Webb. Thanks for listening. See you next time. You're just like me, only happy when you get to leave the party We never say goodbye, we just go We can stay here till the cops come Watch the days pass, talk to no one Cause everybody else just makes me feel alone They make me feel alone Like I was never there Oh, I hated everyone till you Every 
Left for me 